Kia team, and welcome to the Beyond the Surface podcast. My name's Noel Woolof, and on today's episode, I'm joined by Ben Aduse. This conversation with Ben is the final episode for the podcast for 2023. That concludes over 17 episodes that were produced and got out the door to all of you guys listening at home this year, which is pretty awesome. So if you are listening, I just want to say a massive thank you for supporting the podcast, listening to these conversations. I hope you've got some sort of learnings or value out of it, whether it's a laugh, um, learning something new, challenging your own perspective on different ideas, or validating what you already know. This podcast, I do it for you guys listening at home. Um, It's definitely a passion of mine, but I do it to help normalize conversations around mental health and also to create a bit more visibility and awareness for some of the fucking amazing people that we have in New Zealand and to share their stories around how they got to where they are today to hopefully inspire someone else to chase their goals in terms of whatever that looks like in their life. Anyway, enough of the deep stuff. I just wanted to say a genuine thank you to everyone who supported the journey this year, whether you're an old listener or you've just jumped on and listened to a few episodes lately. It's been a hectic year with full-time work, changing jobs, running a marathon, doing study, and being a father to an eight-year-old, plus all these other bits and pieces. But the feedback that I get throughout doing these episodes and sharing these stories um, and hearing these conversations with individuals who have listened to the podcast really keeps me going. So a massive thanks. Again, have a really safe and enjoyable summer break and looking forward to getting stuck into it in 2024. Yell out if there's anyone that you want on the the podcast and I will send them a DM. Welcome to episode number 29. Yeah, so obviously I'm Ben Doucet, so originally from Newcastle, came here 13 years ago mm-hmm. um, and I work as a personal trainer, a men's health advocate, ambassador for Movember, a running coach and um, yeah, trying to help improve people's health and well-being. It's That's awesome. Yeah, very simple way of putting it but it's a little bit more complex than that. That's nice and um, I was re- really keen with this interview being is to start at the very beginning, so yeah. to talk around um, your early childhood and what were those key moments in your life growing up which sort of led you to where you are today but um I guess before we get into that growing up in the UK do you mind just talking about your childhood what was it like what sort of kid were you like when you're eight years old oh good question um oh life for me was quite looking back quite difficult Hmm. um in the north of England at that time Racism was a huge issue, and my parents interracial. Um, so we had to move um, very, very abruptly. Um, got things thrown through our windows, uh, like, as I say, racial slurs all mm. over the place. So it was quite a harsh upbringing. Um, Do you remember your first experience with racism while we were on that topic? Like, um, how old were you, and what happened? God, this would have been like six or seven uh, and I was having to fight all the kids uh, who were trying to push me around. Mm. Uh, parents had to go into school, and eventually it was like, that was normality mm. uh, so for myself and for my brother. And my sisters also copped it as well because my sisters had a different father to me. So it was, my dad was black, two brown boys, and then mum mm. was white, sister was white. So yeah, it was a very blended family. Mm. And at that time, I wasn't really seen around that part so yeah so a lot of a lot of kind of confrontation um not the wealthiest of families as well so quite a poor upbringing yeah. um but yeah it was something that we had to do was have each other's back 
and yeah so grateful that you know the people in my family were there to kind of stand up mm. when needed mm. um, yeah so we ended up having to move to a different area just because there was one or two gangsters who were looking at us uh, which was <laughs> a little bit frightening um, and yeah we moved into a new area and th things started to change uh, just because we were in a better area and yeah just able to kind of get into sport which mm -hmm. was a huge huge thing for me mm. um i think that was a game changer if i didn't have sport mm. i don't know if i would be here now yeah um and then yeah unfortunately two years after it being eight my mum was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia mm. and that was a mental illness is something that's been huge in my family right from the get-go um yeah so my mum being sick and then my dad losing the sister the, when i was quite young we saw the side effects of that um him originally being from Ghana, West Africa, coming to England, homesickness, we saw that a lot. Mm -hmm. And you can see he would have hard times when he just wanted to go back. So, yeah, so childhood for me was, yeah, looking back now, quite a difficult one. Mm. And something where you had to be very aware of how people were and kind of not putting too much pressure on them. Mm. But in some ways, you know, that came back to, me a little bit later on in life because yeah. I wouldn't speak how I was truly feeling because I wouldn't want it to affect people. Mm. With paran is it paranoid schizophrenia? Yep. What is that diagnosis? What does that mean? So essentially, paranoid schizophrenia is um, I can host a whole different thing. So it can be like a different personality. Mm. Um, when you read something, you will kind of relate it to you. If you watch something, you'll think it's honestly happened to you. So voices in your head which are more and more extreme. Um, it can be signs of very kind of extreme violence. So a lot of people who do, you know, murders and things can be right. forms of uh, paranoid schizophrenia. Uh, yeah, you just feel like everyone else is against you mm. and it's you against the world and you've just got to fight. And um, yeah, there was quite a few circumstances where we saw that mm. with my mum. And the only way it could calm down was with medication and things, but that kind of dulls them down as well mm. so it's kind of like sedates you a yeah. bit yeah. so my when I look back at my childhood with my mum I can't really remember what it was like pre which is you know a bit of a shame mm. um, yeah and yeah she's she's a fighter you know she's a remarkable woman and she's mm. fought all her life for so many things but yeah just yeah it's just something where it can be you're perfectly fine one moment and then extreme aggression Mm. or sadness mm. or whatever. So you're kind of always on your toes with it. And is that something that she developed quite later in life or something that she always had but then was diagnosed? Um, it was later f for her. Um, it was, it usually comes from, it can come from a small bout of stress or it can be continuous stress. Yeah. And I think it was, if I remember, it was after my sister's wedding. So it was like a huge strain. Um, and obviously not being financially, you know, that secure. Mm. I think that was the tipping point. And also lifestyle as well. You know, if you, you know, if, if you are taking drugs, I don't know if they're dead, but you know, drugs, alcohol, all that sort of stuff, lack of sleep, all these things tend to affect mm. your mental well-being. Mm. So, don't know what it was. It can be something short, or it can be just something long sustained. Um, unresolved issues. Mm. That would be really hard, especially being, you know, like an eight, ten-year-old boy, not understanding really the reality of a mm. mental illness, and then seeing the effects firsthand on your mum, mm. and especially if, unfortunately, that filtered back down to the way that she 
behaved with you guys or the way she treated you or maybe um, lashed out at times or whatever sort of went on. I, I can just I only imagine how, how tough that would be at times. Mm, yeah, I mean, as I say, it was... <sighs> I think the good thing is we got a diagnosis pretty early on, so we knew straight away, and, you know, you, you ask questions as a child, so you're mm. quite inquisitive about it. Mm. Um, and I didn't know anything else, so it was, I just saw it as it was, and it wasn't until you look back at it and you're like, whoa, that, yeah. was, that was actually pretty, pretty intense how, you know, the life that we had. Mm. But when you're a child, you just get on with it. Yeah, and it's just normal, right? Because yeah. that's your, your reality. You don't yeah. know anything different. Yeah. 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 Um, did you, with your mum being diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, did, did that make you form maybe like a closer bond with your with your old man? Yeah. Was he like really playing that sort of father figure in the, in the household, being that glue between you all? Yeah, 100%. So when my mum went to hospital, came back out, parents split up and because my mum was sick we stayed with my dad uh, right. and my dad was old school African like education 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 but we needed that we needed the d- discipline the structure They're like I'm probably happiest when I've got goals I'm working towards mm, them so fairly you know just not kind of letting my emotions like dictate my life it's mm. like I've got to get something done. Doesn't matter how I feel, get it done. Yeah, it's like that to me is such a huge, huge thing. And um, yeah, my dad definitely installed that, and there was a bit of fear there as well, which is I think is can be healthy when you're growing up as a teenage boy because you push the boundaries uh, all the time. So to have someone there to be like, "Whoa, you need to," before I put you back in your place, um, definitely helped. And I've, both my brother and I have said, if we had been with my mum. We don't know where we would have ended up uh, mm. with my dad. It was like, he definitely for boys, we needed a, a strong, yeah. strong male role, role model. So. Yeah, so important, eh? Yeah. Was there, like, what was that one, I guess, important life lesson which you learned through your father? I, I know there's definitely one, one from my mum, and mm. I, I feel like everyone's sort of got one, eh, when you reflect on your parents and, and growing up. But I remember my mum would always make sure I think like every year we would like go over all of my old toys yeah. and then for whatever toys I didn't need, she would make sure that we'd put them to like Salvation Army or something. Mm. And it was a really funny process as like a, you know, five to four year old. Cause you're like, I still love this like yeah. Superman action <laughs> figure. Like no mum, like I'm going to play with this one day. Yeah. But she would, yeah, really reinstated into me that like so many kids don't have toys in the first place. Mm. Um, yeah, so I'm re- yeah really keen to to hear. Have, have you got any? Um, I definitely say it was the education aspect. It was like you don't understand how lucky you are to be in this position. Like he had to fight for everything, and he was like, just don't waste it. Mm. That would be one thing, you know. It was definitely making sure that we were constantly trying to push ourselves in that area. And then I guess when it came to playing sports, because uh, he never really got to watch me play sports, and it was always a big deal when he did. Yeah. And um, I remember one game playing football or soccer, uh, I had a bit of a howler, and um, he just turned around and was, uh, <laughs> I expected like an arm over the shoulder, and he was like, what was that? And I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay I'm not expecting this off your dad. And he was like, you know what? It's gone. Next game, prove yourself. Every game, you've got to prove yourself. I don't care about any reputation. 
because I think what he started to see was I was starting to get a bit of a reputation mm-hmm. and I was getting a bit more of an ego. Mm-hmm. And he was like, nah, you got to prove yourself every game. And if mm-hmm. you don't, you're only as good as your last game and all them kind of cliches. And it was a big slap in the face because, you know, I thought I was pretty hard to be yeah, honest yeah, uh, playing yeah. football. And it was like, actually, I'm not as good as what I was. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, as I say, some people might think that's quite tough, but... It was just what I needed at that right moment. Mm. Uh, and I think he had a way with words as well. Um, yeah, he was very good at talking to people yeah. and, and, and giving them what they needed instead of what they wanted, mm. which is hugely important. Mm. That's good, eh? There's something about being a, being a child and your old man like watches you play footy or plays rugby. It's like you just you get that like fire, yeah, eh? You're yeah. like, I need to impress the old yeah. man. Yeah. There's something about it. <laughs> Yeah, hundred and um, it's like my brother as well. My brother's a huge like, I would say he's kind of a, like a father figure to me as well. And um, if I played, it would be their critique was everything to me. You know, just making sure that I was doing right by mm. them. Mm. And uh, yeah, it was as I said, both of them had that ability to tell me what I needed to hear. Yeah. So um, yeah, very blessed to have that. Yeah. Uh, but yes, so many memories though that I could go through so many, to be honest with you, when it comes to that. And then moving into footy, so you played football at a professional level over in the in the UK, semi-professional. Yeah, we course. can say professional. Yeah, I, I mean, cool. yeah, you can give me the professional <laughs> card. So um, yeah, so I played at Newcastle United until I was 16 nice. and then got released um, and then played at if I say Darlington, basically lower, lower league football mm. for a while and then played right at the cusp of, it's called Unibond, which is just on the cusp of professional football. Yep. Um, played there, but it was just such an unstable environment. It's, it's a cutthroat business. You know, it's, uh, when I played Newcastle, there was international teammates, you mm. know, people from Africa, would be mm. from um, yeah, other parts of Europe and it would just be content circulation so people would get released come in and you just never knew kind of right. where you were yeah however you've got people telling you you're going to be the next big thing yeah and it's like so never reached that level and some people say that you know injuries and stuff truth be told i just wasn't good enough mm. i think that was yeah yeah I, I just some people just need to hear that yeah. sometimes about themselves yeah. just wasn't good enough yeah. when the moment came yeah um and then yeah playing lower league um could say semi-pro pro um yeah, it just wasn't wasn't for me, and actually, it was affecting my mental well being, mm. just because it's very aggressive the business, and people are just trying to climb in and get into that sort of a, you know career path. Mm, and they will do anything for it. True. So yeah, it just wasn't for me, and eventually, I tried to retire um, at the age of. 22, oh, 21. Yeah. Long career. Yeah, long, long career. <laughs> Retirement um, speech. <laughs> and then I kind of got pulled back in. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was just something that, looking back, I played because I was good at, not mm. because I truly loved it. Right. It was just something that, yeah, I did. People were good, mm. give me opportunities. So I was like, why did I take them? Mm. It's crazy over in, in England too, right? Like just how much how much the culture, the English culture is surrounded around playing football. Oh, like I recently watched that um, David Beckham yep. documentary. Oh, shit. Fuck, man. <laughs> like the amount of like abuse he got from yep. the public, like, yep. you know, dummies of him being hung in the streets yep. after being like sent off by England. Yep. And what I found crazy is like even within that documentary, 
the coach, his own coach, mm. was like slanting him. Yeah, and it wasn't like okay, cool. You know, there's ten other men on the on the pitch. Oh. Um, we shouldn't. If one player comes off, we should still have the capacity to like turn this game around. Yeah. He was like, nah, super disappointed. Yeah. It's just. Uh, it is wild. So yeah, gr- growing up within within that environment, play, playing football at that level was because I feel like in, in New Zealand we're probably a lot more relaxed and um, chill, chilled out. But was it? W- were you in competition with your peers from every second? Hundred percent. It was kind of like your teammates, but you're not yeah, because true. you're fighting for their their spot. They're fighting yeah. for yours. Yeah. So it's like a contract. So you, you, that's what you're fighting for. You can be friends, but if it comes between you and that person you're going for it yourself, you know, and it's like, there's no shame in that. We all know that. Um, Yeah, really competitive. I used to play as a kid, it's called Sunday League, which Mm. is... Yeah, Sunday League. Yeah, Sunday League. And there was one, I remember one game where one of the parents started racially abusing me. Next thing I know, my manager comes across the pitch, headbutts him, I had a scout watching me. Sedan Zidane. Like, yeah, like nice. full on. And then um, I get carried away by a scout who's watching me play. I didn't know who he was. So he was from Newcastle United. And um, yeah, he ended up taking me into a car and driving me off. And I'm like, what? Like, what is going on? I'm in tears. I'm thinking, I'm, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to. Eventually took me home. And he was like, yeah, that's kind of part of the competitiveness of... It's just like... Uh, the stuff that you kind of go through mm. as a kid playing football as mm. well. It's just parents screaming. It's its, it's a highly competitive mm. thing. And I think, unfortunately, when it comes to sport, uh, football in the UK, kids are getting told that they're going to be a footballer at 10 years old. Mm. You don't even know yourself. Yeah. It's, hard, hard it's, out. it's so unfair to say that you're going to be something when yeah. you've not had a chance to explore, yeah. understand who you are, what you like, and mm. you kind of get put into this area. And then eventually when you're 16, 17, they just chop chop you. And then it's like, well, what am I going to do the rest mm. of my life? And your identity is positioned into being a footballer. Yeah. Nothing, nothing else. Nothing so you else. get your uh, satisfaction, gratification from being that guy, yeah. you know, from, from being a good, a good, a good footy player. And yeah. yeah, you get that for so many disciplines, eh? With rugby, tennis. I guess whatever like top tier sport you play in, yeah, yeah. If, if you don't make it and you put all your eggs into one basket, it can be super tough on your mental health. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, it's not talked about mm. at all. Mm. So, yeah. so true. Is there, and in Newcastle in particular, there's some, there's some hard geezers there too, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Is, yep. <laughs> Like they're like do they have like tattoos of like Newcastle United, um, yeah. It's a religion. Yeah. It honestly, if you go there, how the football club is determines how the city's doing. Mm. So if the football's going through a hard time, the city will go through a hard time. If it's winning, everyone's way happier. People will say good morning to you. If they lose, mm, and they start losing a lot, a lot more aggression, a lot more fights in town. It it's a huge. Around that area, if you look at the history, you know, it's a working class area. Everyone got behind the team mm. and it's just, it's stayed like that now. Mm. It is, even though they've got billionaires looking after them. Yeah, you've got some Middle East money yeah, now. Yeah, right? some, serious, some serious coins. So it's, um, <laughs> yeah, people are quite happy about that. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just, there's so much pride. Mm. So much pride and just being, you know, representing your hometown or being supporting your home club, getting behind it. And yeah, you can sit beside someone who you never know. And then when they score, you're hugging them like it's a family member. That's so cool. It, That's it, cool. It, it, is, it is a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it does take over your life. If mm. you go there and you can't talk about football, um, you might struggle, mm. I'll be honest with you. you mm. And 
before long you end up knowing all the lingo just because yeah. everyone talks about it. Yeah. Well, it is a beautiful game. Yep. It is a beautiful game. Yep. Um, okay, so you you retire early yep. um, at 22, 23 mm-hmm. from, from playing football. Mm-hmm. Um, what's next for you after that? Um, so I wanted to uh, always like health and fitness. That was my thing. And um started training to become a personal trainer. Yep. Actually, before that, I was to work as a medical referral um, practitioner, so working with people who've just had heart attacks uh, and getting back into living day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Did an interview and got told that I needed to get more confidence training people one-on-one. So went into personal training, realized I could make more money personal training what I was doing there, so kind of stuck there. And um, yeah, fell in love with training people, learning different things, how to improve my own performance, and then relating my injuries, because I was injured quite a bit playing mm-hmm. football, mm-hmm. into people, so how we can help fix them. And um, met a Kiwi and played a little football tournament with him, and he said, oh, wow, you're quite good. And I was like, thank you. And he was like, I've got an opportunity to come to New Zealand to play for Tower. And I was like, <laughs> what is Tower? Thunderclouds going in the back. Yeah, oh. no, he, they, they did the best sales pitch ever. I got, I got pictures of Granada like, on a sunny day, and this is our <laughs> training facilities. We've just moved into the highest um, tier of winter football, the Central League. You know, we can give you a little bit of money and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, whoa, this is, this is, pretty, this is pretty good. We've got a train station, we've got a BP, <laughs> a couple of cafes. It's oh, the place I, to go. And I, I mean, I, I do, my experience before this, I thought Australia and New Zealand were the same weather-wise. Right. So I was like, I'm moving to How the sun. Oh, <laughs> man, I, I learned. <laughs> and um, it was minus, oh, I think the day I said yes, it was in February. And it was like minus 10 or something. It was snowy. It was, the weather was crap. Mm. And I was like, why am I here? Screw it. I'm going to do it. And then, um, yeah, kind of got back into football after retiring. Um, and then came over here. And the weather was beautiful until May. And the weather changed. Uh, and I did fall in love with football again. Yeah. It was nice. Different scenery, different people, different experiences. Uh, but, yeah, I wasn't used to the football that was getting played over here mm. comparison to back home. Yeah, true. Yeah. I guess it must be probably many tiers below the sort of quality of English football. I don't <laughs> I've got to be careful here because my teammates might listen to this. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, yeah, just different. Just, yeah. it's more about, yeah, it wasn't about what I was used to in the UK, which is movement away from the ball. Mm. It was more with the ball and mm. yeah, just, yeah. Yeah. Nice way of putting it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's super interesting. I can't, what, we should get that guy into some, if he's not into like a sales business at the moment, that man should definitely be like uh. selling something to someone to sell, you know, an individual all the way in Newcastle in the UK, the prospect of playing football for Tower FC, getting uh. that, them to move half the way around the world. That's um, yeah. oh. pretty incredible. Oh, honestly, he's a very trustworthy guy. And if you know Tower Intermediate School, he's the vice principal there. So, nice. um, yeah, so he's uh, very much part of the community. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, really good guy. I've got a lot of time for him. Uh, and I'm glad that he did because, you know, the life I'm living now is one that I never thought I would be able to live, to be honest with you. Yeah, nice. So It's cool, man. Yeah. Um, so you're, you've, you've moved all the way back to, well, in, into New Zealand mm. from, from Newcastle. Yeah. I'm expecting that was like a one-way ticket. You're just over here? Open return. Nice. So for a year. Yeah. So I had a chance to see what it's like. If I want to stay, stay. If not, 
I can go back with some stories to tell. Yeah, cool. Um, and from from there, what were the next sort of steps that you took? Did you find work as a, as a PT in New Zealand? Or? Yeah. yeah, so part of the kind of deal was they would help me get connected with Les Mills. So I started working there as a PT. Nice. And um, yeah, at looking at the gym, Les Mills was a big, big deal in the UK because mm-hmm. all the classes, the body pump and stuff, mm-hmm. they get taught in the gyms. And it was like the mecca. So I was there and I was like, right, okay, see there's another 40 personal trainers. And I'm like, right, and I, if I need to survive here, mm. I need to really work for it. Yeah. So, yep, put all my kind of effort into building the business, building the brand, was able to do that, able to survive. And like the life expectancy of a PT isn't that great. Mm. You know, I think it's like 90% of PTs will fail in the first year. True. And then it, it goes up and up after yeah. people start to understand about taxes and their business yeah, plans, yeah, yeah. things that not often looked at when you come yeah. to be, being a PT. So yeah, so started working as a PT and um, fell in love with what I was doing and started moving away from what I was traditionally doing, which was when I got here was strength. Mm-hmm. And then um, during that time, I 2012, I lost my dad and I got really sick myself and I couldn't do what I was originally doing. Even though aesthetically I looked good, mentally I was falling apart, my body was falling apart. And... Um, when I kind of got the all clear to go back into training, mindset had to change. Mm. Couldn't I couldn't flash myself in the gym. There was no more of that. And um, yeah, it was starting to learn about mobility, you know, crawling around on the floor like an animal at the time, animal floor sort of stuff and breathing and things that weren't really seen mm. in the gym. I used to get laughed at some of the mm. times doing the stuff. But um, yeah, it was, looking back now, it was probably the best thing for what, body wanted mm. then and I still kind of use that now to yeah. train myself nice when you say you got sick was that you felt like was it illness yeah uh, combination so it was because um, when I lost my dad it was very abrupt it was I woke up to a miss I think it was like 150 missed calls from Fuck. family members saying call home now mm. dad's in intensive care he's got maybe 24 hours to live Anyone who flies to the UK knows it takes longer than 24 hours. Mm. So I didn't know, I went on a plane not knowing if my dad was going to be alive anymore or not. Um, he was, and then two or three days later, he passed away. And then I had to bury him on my birthday. Oh, uh, so yes, that was pretty tough. And did he just, did he fall, did he fall sick? What was? So that was the, that was the part that got me because my brother, because my brother works as a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. We both work in health and what we realized that he was suffering from loneliness. You know, I, I was the youngest. Mm. I was named after my dad. And, and, and when I moved over to New Zealand, you know, he was struggling. And I was too focused on whatever was going on in my life at that time to realize that. And it took me, I blame myself a lot after he passed away. There was a lot of guilt. And that came into like abuse on my own body. So mm. that was drugs, alcohol, whatever I could get my hands on to kind of escape that guilt. Um, and when, yeah, basically, so my dad just started to stop looking after himself. You know, so it was a combination. He had a couple of heart attacks. He was diabetic. He was on quite strong medication for depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also got pneumonia as well. Mm. And when we got back to the house, the house was a pigsty. It was, right. uh, it was just... There had been some building work going on and there was just all this dust around and that's what he was breathing in, mm. in his lungs, which kind of made the yeah. pneumonia worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just like, 
how did we not know? Mm. And, you know, this guy who's literally given everything for us. And the one moment he suffered or struggled, we weren't there. And I know both my brother and I have, even to this day, we still have a hard time talking about it just because, you know, he gave us so much. And yeah, we. Mm. I always feel like I could have done more. Mm. I, think mm. you're, I think I'm think i always going to do with it. Yeah. But I think I could, you, you learn to live with it when it comes to grief. It comes and goes. Yeah, and the waves. But it's like, I say he's the best example for me or his experience is something that I'll always, mm. you know, look at and he's still guiding me now even though he's not here mm. you know just to be be proactive about certain things look after yourself you yeah, know because before you know it you know things can go in an instant mm. so yeah so true and it's yeah what an awesome legacy you've you've left in the honor of your old man as well because if anyone follows you on social media you know a lot of the running work and I think probably why you're doing the work that you are doing today is you know and in memory of your old man yeah. so you know that's that's super beautiful in itself um when you went through i guess dealing that grief and going through a bit of a hard time for yourself what did rock bottom look like for you i remember this day very 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 well it was a tuesday morning and i woke up and i was coughing a lot and um I ended up coughing up some blood just Drinking a bottle of Rabbit Ranch every night at least. That was at least what I was having. And I was having about six or seven coffees a day. It was just, I was using stimulants to get me through the day. Mm. And then I was using alcohol to get me to kind of wind down with sleeping tablets, sort yep. of forming quite a dependency on them. And yeah, coughing all this blood. And I was like, what is going on? And as I was in the shower, cleaning myself, noticed there was a lump on my testicle. And I was like, this is... This I deserve this. This is uh, you know, this is for me for being a bad person, being a bad son. And, you know, I I honestly thought it was hundred percent cancer. Mm. I was like, I've got cancer. Yeah, it's totally what you think, yeah, eh? So yeah. I was just like I didn't say anything to anyone. Didn't say it, like all I did was like, right, well however long I've got you know, I, and uh, that's that's it. And I just remember going to work that day and people were talking to me and it was like you're not here. Like I was literally just looking through people and um, eventually, you know, I mentioned to someone, one of my close mates at the time and he was like, you need to go to the doctor ASAP. Don't tell uh, me. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Say this to a doctor. Yeah, and it was amazing that I was actually able to say it because I, half the things I was going through, mm. I wouldn't say it. People would be like, oh, you're right. And I'd be like, yes, I'm sweet as and yeah. then carry on with the rest of the yeah. day. I yeah. usually ask more questions about you mm. and say what's going on with you so you took the attention away, yeah, away from me. And um yeah, it got to the point where I was just, I went to the doctor and the doctor tested. He was like, oh, it's just a cyst, you know, these can happen. And I like, just get it checked up every couple of years, but you're fine. And did some other health checks. And I said to him, I was like, I'm all right. And he was like, are your health tests are saying otherwise? And he kind of was like, off you go. Um, and I remember that moment and I was sitting, <laughs> sitting in my ex's uh, bedroom, like boiling my eyes up and I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I can keep on doing this. I don't even know if I want to be here. It was it was getting pretty pretty severe. But no one knew. I no one had any clue. Mm. And um, yeah, that was that was pretty scary to think that. You know, it felt like there was no other way out to a certain degree. Mm. It was like, you know, anything bad I deserve. I don't deserve anything good to happen. Um, and I was like kind of 
push myself into scenarios that I knew weren't good for me. But it was like, well, that's what you deserve, so you just got to deal with it. And was that the narrative that was playing inside of your head? Like, yeah. as you'd wake up, it was, yeah. I'm not good enough. Yeah. I don't deserve this. Yeah. yeah. It was just, yeah, it was just, I kind of just, getting through the day was like a miracle. And then at the end of the day, it would be like, you know, you just waste, you just waste it and all this sort of stuff. And then it would be Friday to Sunday night was just alcohol and drugs just mm. to get through it. It was like, in a weird way, it was a happy time because it was the thoughts went, yeah, and I could just be me and be present and yeah. in a weird way, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, just Monday were coming, the come down, the hangovers, yeah. the Sunday scaries. Oh, uh, yep, yep, and um, yeah, you find myself, as I say, just with a massive lump in my throat, just didn't want to talk to anybody, isolated myself, mm. all that sort of stuff. It was just. You look at all these things now, and I'm like, yeah, if I continue that path, I wouldn't be here. Mm. I can tell you now. Mm. So it would have mm. got unbearable for me. Mm. During that time, what are you doing for work? And are you still being a PT? Yep, still yep. being a PT. Still. And so you're there working directly with other people, helping them better their sort of physical and mental health when yeah. you're struggling and not okay at yeah. all. Yep. It's, and, and unfortunately, I'll be honest with you, it's a trait a lot of PTs have. Um, we put so much focus on trying to improve other people so we don't actually have to look at ourselves. Mm. And um, yeah, it's, it was, I can see the irony in it. I'm telling you to do all this sort of stuff. And there I was. So you know, some days I wouldn't eat and if I did eat, it would be takeaways. You know, mm. I used to catch, clients used to catch me like in takeaways and be like, Ben, you've been here like two or three times this week. And I would be like, Oh, well, you know, I'm training a lot and all this. I would make an excuse. So yeah, it's just for, yeah, 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 yeah. It was just like... Get it from my mate. <laughs> yeah, it was like, it, was, it got really bad. So, um, But like, as I say, aesthetically, it was probably the best ship I had ever been in because I was, I mean, I wasn't healthy at all. Mm. But if you looked at me, you'd be like, oh yeah, he looks after himself pretty well. Mm. So my business actually improved just because of the way I looked. True. But mentally, and I, I was given so much attention to clients They'll be like, you always ask some questions. You're always wondering how I am. I would put so much focus on them, mm. as I said, to take it away from me, yeah. that they thought, oh, well, he's a really good trainer. Mm. But What was the turning point for you when you're in this like mental health crisis? How did you overcome? It sounds like physical um, exercise was still there yeah. for you and you're still probably using that as like a tool. Mm. Um, Cause, and like, I think a lot of people, when they look into mental health, you know, it's, if you start like the f natural endorphins that get released when you work out, I, I think is, is hugely beneficial for anyone, right? Let alone anyone that's going through depression. But it sounds like you were already doing that and still feeling like, you know, you, you were a piece of shit. Yeah. That's the narrative you're having inside yeah. your head. What did you do then to get out of that hole? Um, I'm a competitive person. And that moment the doctor said, there's nothing else I can do. It really got really pissed me off because I was like I'm coming to, I'm actually trying to tell you something's wrong mm. and you didn't listen and I was like well, well screw you I'm going to do it myself so this it was like a switch got flicked and I was like right I'm going to learn as much as I can about this and I'm going to change everything that's going on and it wasn't out of a need to help myself it was to prove that doctor like I wanted to go back to him and say you're full of shit I True. did this um, 
so yeah, so it was like anger. It was like something just to focus on. Mm. And um, yeah, it took me down a path of learning about different, you know, eating better, um, looking at lifestyle. You know, I got into a book called The Blue Zones. Now, The Blue Zones are the, the longest living people populations around the planet. Oh, okay. And um, I was reading, there's like nine things that they have. And I was like, right, how can I start using that to integrate it into my own life? Because this is proof. Mm. You no, know, this is living proof. Never mind the science. There's there's uh, some stuff here that we can see. Mm. Um, and that just took me down this rabbit hole, uh, just trying different things, moving away from certain people. Mm. And um, yeah, you could see I got pretty, I got pretty lean. I got pretty skinny because I, I did some extreme diets, let's just say. And um what yeah. like what was, what was some interesting oh there was the gaps diet so the gaps is there because I knew my gut was all over the place like I I think the worst my stomach got to I was like constipated for like two weeks oh shit yeah literally <laughs> 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 so yeah it was just like when you start learning that that is a recipe for disaster yeah. it was like sort of learning about gut health and that this is the gut and psychological mm-hmm. kind of diet so mm-hmm. um, I was just looking at Eating, I was having bone broth for like a week. I went on a detox. I just had bone broth. Far out. Um, yeah, did the keto diet, did it all. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just, just got very experimental and started diving into more of the mental well-being as well because yeah. I was just obsessed with the physical side because yeah. I was like, I understand that. That makes sense. Like I'm quite science-driven. Mm-hmm. So I was mm-hmm. like, right, you know, and then... Eventually, I started working across towards the psychological side, which mm. is, which was hard. First mm. ever session I went, I sweated so much that we had to change the chair, um, and it was like what they were saying it was a, it was a kind of response to all the trauma that's gone through. Is that with your, with your therapist? Yeah, therapist. So oh, we really? like literally, I was I was sitting there and the sweat just started pouring out of me. Wow! And I was like constantly moving, and she was like, "I'm just going to get you another chair." And I had to get someone to pick me up because physically I was so exhausted. Wow. And it's like years and years of stuff that you're holding in is kind of coming out now. Mm. And um, yeah, it was, like, it was, Mm. yeah, I I still remember them sessions. The first couple of sessions, they were really hard. Mm. She had to ask a lot of questions to get anything out of me. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was, yeah pretty remarkable stuff that she was able to see and, mm. and, and do that. Mm. So. That's, that's amazing, eh? It, it sounded like <clears throat> throughout all of this, you had you 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 had that desire yourself to also, you know, get yourself through how you were feeling with your depression. Mm. Were there anyone because, you know, so many other people, they don't they don't have that desire to when they're you know battling with the the black dog and they got those negative or suicidal feelings some of them some people can't even have it in themselves to you know do education uh look into research and um try and explore alternative ways of getting themselves out of a rut and so they have to rely on others to you know get them through Mm. and have those really difficult conversations with them did you have anyone close to you during this time whether it was a friend or a family member who like had to um who had to really convince you that you needed to change or was there a part of you which knew it just needed to be done um my partner alicia alicia ordering she um we had just got together we had just had relationships where quite 
traumatic and then yep. we kind of found each other and um it was different i came from quite like the highs were high the lows were low and this person was consistent mm. just constantly there true and i wasn't used to that and it was calming and the family was very calming as well and they were very supportive when i was going through hard times so having that sort of foundation there never forced me to do anything they were just like look whatever decision you do we're behind you mm. which was weird because i'm usually getting told what to do and what not to do and um yeah they were just like maybe look into this so i think they they helped a lot yeah i also think it was my dad as well my dad as i say was very much like if there's something to do do it mm. and um you know education you know it's like un you are responsible for yourself mm. you know, self responsibility yeah it's like yep. you, you can't if you can't look after yourself don't expect to try and help to look after others mm. um so i think it was a combination of that mm. as well and eventually you know i didn't want to let my family down i didn't, yep. didn't want to let people down who you know saw potential in me mm. and it was like right you actually need to start standing up and being a man and and, mm. and making yourself a bit more accountable to your actions because mm. I don't think I was. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So it was something. I think it was a combination of just them people at the right place, right time for me. Um, yeah. And from there, it was just sort of learning more about this, and it was like my gaze had changed. So I could see people who I admired who were suffering. And I was like, you're going through the same as me. You're going through the same as me. So I kind of started trying to do this health, men's health movement around 2013, 14. Mm. I would do talks on maybe one person would show. Mm. And I'm like, what is going on? Why is nobody getting involved in this? We're all struggling here. It's like, we all suffer. There's no, you know, there's no reward for the person who suffers the most and keeps quiet about it. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's a time and place to talk. Do it. Um, and you know, embrace the challenges as well instead of running away from them because mm. nothing good comes from that. So yeah, so it was just I, I don't know. I was I just think my life has been more where it's been tough, but without that toughness, I probably wouldn't have been able to fight back from that scenario in 2012. Mm. So yeah, just you know, in a weird way, I'm very thankful for the upbringing that I had mm. um, because you know, as you say, it makes you it makes you appreciate things when they actually are going right. So true. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, I would say definitely my partner's family, my partner was definitely a huge influence on me trying to mm. address some of these issues. Yeah. Such a complex topic, eh? I mean, to have, especially within New Zealand, like and I've mentioned it before on the podcast, like having friends personally who have taken their lives through suicide and, it's it's just so crazy and just and it just keeps happening. But I'm a strong advocate, and another reason why I love having these conversations on this podcast is because through doing this, it can help normalise, especially among, among men. You know, talking about these things when you're feeling shit, you just don't want to mention it to anyone because you feel like that that will that that you're just being a hindrance to somebody yeah. else. Mm. That having these conversations on platforms whether it's big or small you know goes a little way into um normalizing the conversation and not normalizing the conversation in a way where people are victims to themselves Mm. and um almost like normalizing uh you know that sort of mindset but 
I think it goes a long way in normalizing that it's okay not to feel okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? And hearing people like yourself, um, well, I've had Jahan Casanada on the podcast before who's written a book around his experience on, on depression. You know, having people like you guys talking about some practical tools as well mm. that you can take to, um, yeah, to really sort of help turn your life around. But yeah, it's such an interesting interesting uh, topic of conversation eh? it's like I just feel like yeah it's like if we had a magic ball what would those things be that you could wish upon to make some big massive improvements in the mental state of New Zealanders do, do, do you think that's like access to like better access to counselling support is it like tall poppy syndrome is it like what what is pushing people towards feeling this way um, I think isolation is a huge one mm. uh, where we are isolated, especially in this day and age of social media and all this sort of stuff. You can communicate without actually seeing anyone. The, yeah. pa- the pandemic obviously was a huge thing as well. Um, tall poppy syndrome, 100%. And I think it's a combination of things. It's, oh, this can go down so many yeah, different avenues. avenues. Um, oh, I would say not living the life lifestyle that we need mm-hmm. you know it's i think a lot of us spend too much time indoors we spend too much time doing things um for the wrong reasons we're not doing it for uh you know trying to find our passions trying to find our purpose uh, i think that's a huge thing because you know when i changed my perspective i was so happy to go back to work with that now work doesn't fit, even though it's hard to know that I'm helping somebody makes it so much more worthwhile mm. to go through that suffering. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, eat the way we eat, just our whole lifestyles, just there's so much that we do. And I think there was a, there's a really good guy, his name's Nigel Beach, he's a good mate of mine. And he was saying that anyone who's shown really signs, strong signs of inflammation can affect the way that they think. Mm, and right. it is, if you're in pain, yeah. You know, your body and your brain doesn't work the way it should be, you mm. know, and it's like, okay, so just understanding yourself a bit better and and not overlooking these small things. Mm. It's it's all about the foundations. Yeah, whatever your foundations are, you know, that's what you constantly go back to. And if you're not looking at them and you're trying to do all these little changes here and there, your foundation isn't strong. It's just going to fall through. Mm. And for me, it's... Do something for your community. You yeah, know, I lo- the stuff that I do for my community now. Yeah, I, I can't talk about it enough. Yeah, do something for yourself, for your family. You know, it's like it's nothing crazy, mm. but it's the hardest part. I think is staying consistent, especially when you're busy, and you know there are hard times now financially mm. as well. So people, you know, it's the first thing that tends to go away. You know, gym memberships, phys- being physically fit. Mm. You know, I'm going to do it at home. I don't care who you are. You do it for like a week. And then yeah. after that, it's like, <laughs> nah, man, I'm not doing this anymore. It's like, so don't it, kid yourself. <laughs> and it's like, you know, as exercising with friends, you know, just giving yourself, you know, for me, I like to keep, have people to keep me accountable mm. as well. So, so important. Eh? Yeah. It's just like, you kind of do everything by yourself. Yeah. And I think that's a, a huge thing that is often overlooked on this. Yeah. Yeah. Agree, man. Agree. Yeah, there's there's so much in there. I think social media has got like a big a big role in all of this because you're constantly like comparing yourself to 
who you're following mm. and you could be, you know, following bloody Leonardo DiCaprio who's sitting on a super yacht with like 12 <laughs> babes and you're like, what the hell? Like this is, this, this, this is not, this is not fair. Someone lives this life and there's yeah. that, that old saying, eh? like comparison is the thief of joy yeah. and it's so true. Mm. Um, what do you think some of the like most common misconceptions are about men's mental health in New Zealand? Oh, really good question. Um, so my thing, there's something... In the last couple of years, definitely the word toxic masculinity. I am not a fan of that word, I'll be honest with you. Mm. Um, it's for me that is causing a more of an issue. Mm. Uh, I feel like a lot of guys are not too sure how they need to be acting now. Um, and you know, if you actually look at that term, it's for people who were murdering people and somehow it got put into everyday society. Um, so yeah, just I think that's one thing. Um, being there for our mates, like being there for each other, I think that's a huge issue. It's uh, we don't have to solve the problems. Yeah, like so many people have reached out to me saying, "Oh, my friends opened up, but I don't know what to do." Don't need to do anything. Mm. Just be there. Mm. That's all after. And I think there's a crazy stat: like seventy percent of guys have said they'll be there for their friends. Only thirty percent reach out, mm. and it's just like. I don't know. I find that me telling you, for example, another man about stuff that's going on, we can probably relate better than anybody else because mm. there could be a strong possibility that you're going through the same sort of thing. Yeah. And that strengthens our bond. And it's like, you know, it's, I don't know. I think there's an embarrassment when it comes to male health as well. It's mm. like something in that, general, eh? like yeah. physical health even oh. as well. Like going to the doctor to get something checked out on your balls. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. And like I, I did a talk once, and I was like, oh, "Who has um, who has a hard time waking up with a morning wood?" Well, everyone was like, "What the hell is this talk?" <laughs> uh, but what a way to start the conversation. <laughs> eh? but, but, but the thing was, it was that has a direct effect to your heart, uh, heart health. Yeah, true. So if okay. your heart, your arteries are blocked. First thing to go to is your penis. Uh. So it's like, if you have a family history of heart disease, and let's just say you're you know, struggling to wake up with an erection first thing in the morning, yeah. that could be something that alarm bell. Uh, so okay. it's like a body... So if you're not. If you're not. Ah, okay. Yeah, if you're not. No, 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 no. If you're not, if you're not. But like... They even do that. It's yeah. so interesting. So it's like these things, our body tells us when it's something's not right. Yeah. It's just that we're not aware of it. Uh, true. So, and then what, you know, if someone's struggling with this, what they do, they'll get something like, mm. you know, some medication. Mm. That's actually putting more pressure on the heart. Yeah. So that's why it says do not take if you've got heart conditions and stuff like that. So these things that we should really know about, for me, every guy should be getting the blood test every six or 12 months mm. of just basic cholesterol. If you look at the biggest killer, heart disease, you know, so go and see what's going on with the cholesterol. Go and see what, how inflamed the body is. Have a look at your testosterone levels. You know, are you someone who's too stressed? Um, a crazy, here's a crazy story. So I got my, my partner and I went through IVF to have my child. Mm -hmm. Got my first sperm count tested. It was like 90 million or something like that. So Is that good? Very fertile. Yeah. So, and then it was around my dad's anniversary and this would have been like six years. It dropped down to 9 million. Mm. From 90? 90. 90, nah. So that was a huge, I, I, I remember the people from the IVF clinic were like, is something going on? Wow. And I just said, look, it's close to my dad's anniversary. And they were like, that, that just shows the sign of stress mm. in your body. Right. So it's like, Knowing these things, you know, low testosterone can affect mm. depression, things like that. It's mm. a, or it's like, 
we know more about cars or whatever gadgets than what we do ourselves. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. Yeah, it's like, so it's like, that's what I mean. It's like having these conversations that people know, yeah. get these tests done, look at these numbers. Yeah. This might mean that you need to change something mm. instead of waiting to take medications or whatever, which then have a huge impact on the rest of your life. And you also probably put more money into your car than you do looking after your own car, your own vehicle, which takes you through life. Yeah. Remember hearing something about like LeBron James and I think he spends over a million dollars every year on his like physical fitness recovery and like rehab around his body. Yeah. And it made me think out. I was like, shit, I've only got a $6.99 like gym membership <laughs> at City Fitness like, and a jiu-jitsu membership. Yeah. But like, I could be doing so much more yeah. doing things like, I don't know, going for like have a massage or yeah. um, go to the pool, sauna. You yeah. were talking about sauna yeah. earlier today. Like those things are so important. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Yeah. I also read something in a, in a book recently. And, you know, like if you had a car and you, you got told that you had this one car, but this is the only car that you had for your entire life. Mm. You would treat that thing like it was just the most precious thing in the world to you. Because yeah. you only got one shot. If you break it, if you crash it, it's done. Yeah. You'd be taking that to get a service when it needs it. You'd be cleaning it, be keeping your garage often. Yeah. But when it comes to like our body, we've only got one, mm. one, one vessel to get us through 80, 100 years if yeah. you're lucky. Um, so many people just abuse it. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's so interesting, eh? But a lot of those people that do abuse it just were never taught about the importance of not doing that. Yeah. And taking it for granted as well. Yeah. It's like you see a lot of guys, you know, once, what was it? You, you use your health to get wealth and then you use your wealth to try and regain your health again. Mm. So it's like we work so hard to try and get this lifestyle that we think is going to be perfect. It's no point in having it if you can't use your use your body, you know. It's so like true. so. It's yeah. It's just kind of taking, as you say, great analogy of the car. You know, it's like look after it. We tend to kind of say stupid knee or things like that. It's like, nah, that knee's doing exactly what it needs to. It's the lifestyle that we're living, which yeah. is causing it to be dysfunctional and cause pain. Mm. It's like you know are you spending all day sitting down? Are you moving around? It's like the body is designed to move mm. and it's always a battle between your body and your brain. Your brain's designed to do nothing. It wants to save energy. Mm. And the body wants to burn energy. The brain is very clever. It can negotiate like, oh, it's all right, just do it tomorrow. I know. No one, no, no one needs to know about it. It's all these little things that it does <laughs> and you just like, it will always... So counterintuitive almost, yeah, eh? Yeah, and it'll do whatever it can so you don't do what you need to. Mm. But the problem with that, the body starts screaming, saying, I don't like this, but what we do, we ignore it. Mm. And you've never gone, I've never gone for a run, for example, or gone to the gym and then like really regretted it afterwards. It's just the process of getting there and like getting your shoelaces tied and showing up to the gym or like pressing go on Strava. But then once you go through that, it's like, man, you just feel, feel so good. Feel so much better. Do you like, get there a lot, like mental clarity? Oh, 100%. It's like an accomplishment. Mm. It's like, I don't care if I didn't get everything done on my list. I got that done. That's mm. one thing. And it's like, that's 1% better than what I was before. You know, So it's, yeah, I just think it kind of carries on in so many different ways. Yeah. So movement for me, running for me, exercise, stretching, whatever it is. Sometimes it's just sitting doing nothing. Mm. You know, it's, it, it's important. Mm. It is so important. Um, what is on, on that note? What is your 
daily routine look like? Like, do you have any morning routines? <laughs> what does that look like? Uh, when you've got a four-year-old, it can change a lot. Um, <laughs> so usually, if I can, I would love to get up and I like to do some movements straight away. So nice. my thing is, I've got movement foundations, which are, I like to move my ankles a lot, my hips and my spine. So if you think of ankles and your hips, they're ball and socket joints that are designed to move 360. And then your spine is, say, you're as old as your spine. So I try to keep that as, as mobile as possible. So I'll get that done. If I do have the chance, I'll go out for a run then. I'm a morning run person. Nice. I, quite, I, I like that. That's nice and quiet. Yep. And what time's your ideal time six, for a morning six, run? Well, it can be from five to six in the morning, yep. I, ideally. Um, it all depends on how well I've slept. Yep. But yeah, usually about... Six o'clock would be good, and it's usually an hour. Mm-hmm. Come back, son's just waking up about that time. Mm-hmm. Can spend a bit of time with him, or if I've got to go to work. Uh, and then I like to do food-wise, as uh, I'm very regimented on my food, so I like yep. to eat at certain times. Yeah, so it's like if someone was trying to assassinate me, I've got, it's very easy. <laughs> it's like I do the same running routes. It's like, yeah, I just to the tea. Yeah, it's just it, it just means that. Um, I can plan my day mm. and, and it, it makes life easy. It's one less thing to worry about. Mm. It's like decision fatigue. I don't, you know, I need that process in my brain to be able to focus on things that I really need instead of just going out and doing that. Yeah. So, yeah, so usually go to work in the morning as well and then um, work with some clients. Lunch you know, tends to be the same sort of things. Afternoon, I like to go to the gym. I tend to find in the afternoon I'm, I'm a bit warmer mm-hmm. so I can do my strength work. I'm a, more awake. Mm. Um, pick up child from um, Puna or daycare, and then from there, spend a bit of time with him. Family goes to bed, try to do a couple of stretches, nice. and then my partner and I are working very hard on just having some time where there's no phones and we actually got to ask each other questions. And cool. actually, because you know, we had a relationship before a child, mm. and then it, sometimes it kind of gets. Mm forgotten about and it's just always about the child yeah and you know relationships can suffer we've definitely had a hard times and mm. stuff because of that mm. uh so yeah so we're really making a focus on that's awesome bro yeah spending a bit more time together yeah it's yeah. awesome yeah relationships it's so much work eh? yeah um yeah you've got to really really put it in to get to, to get stuff out of it and i think that that's such a good idea just yeah. to like cut phones away like me and my missus so often, you know, we'll just be caught there. And it's, it's nice because it's also like chill time, but we might just be on social media and, you know, it's like, oh, whole hours pass. Haven't said anything to yeah. each other. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's nice to be really intentional with the time that you've got. Yeah. And it, it doesn't have to be like deep and meaningful t- chats. No. It can be like, a f- we've got to find a fact yeah. of a day and tell each other about it. It can be a stupid fact. Mm. It, does, it, it doesn't make a difference. It just, we're communicating. Yeah. And um, yeah, we find that, we like to try and practice a bit of gratitude to each other, you know, nice. like what are a couple of things that we're grateful for, what mm. the other person's done during that day. Because, you know, as you know, being a parent is hard and mm. you don't really get that much gratification for it. Um, so, yeah, just being like, when I saw you do this, you know, it helped me so much. So thank you for doing it. Mm. Yeah, just them, them little things. So, That's yeah, cool. yeah. So And stuff you wouldn't usually verbalize or communicate. Yeah. But you would think, but you wouldn't actually do the expression take your time to say that one yeah. thing even if it was something really small mm. I like that it's cool yeah that's yeah so um, and you recently 
ticked off a 60 kilometer run you've done a couple of them now yep second one yep. mate talk me through that <laughs> it's wild so more than the run uh, that connects into movember um and the whole thing is there's three distances which are based around stats and men's health so the 10k is for the 10 percent of men who are suffering from social anxiety across australia new zealand uh the 30k is for the 30 percent increase with men suffering from mental distress um i think it's since the pandemic and then the 60k is for a guy who we lose every 60 seconds because of suicide and that's globally as well um so yeah so i i wasn't too sure if i was going to do it this year to be honest um but yeah the run to me is a way of remembering my dad unfortunately I lost my my partner's father as well uh, to lung cancer um, to all the people who we've tried to help um, in men's health. Mm. And it's like I do it to show kind of other people you can do it as well. Because I used to hate running. I used to hate runners. I used to hate everything about running. And now I'm one of them idiots that you see every day running with a million pairs of shoes, uh, lots of lots of running clothes. I don't tend to wear anything else apart from running clothes. Nice. So it's taken over my life. Yeah. And um, in a good way. And yeah, just kind of showing people that, you know, when you push yourself and you train and things like that, you can do some pretty remarkable things. Mm. And the weather was absolutely crap mm. on that day. It was a suddenly 80K plus winds. Um, and it kind of was fitting about mental health and men's health because it's not always yeah, going to be true. sunny. It's, it's all sunshine and rainbows. Yeah, it's, you've got to kind of grind through this stuff and push yourself and um, the irony was the following day was nice and sunny. Mm. And I was like, oh, it could have been quite nice to be on the following day. But no, it was, it was amazing. And we got the community behind it. Uh, the 60K itself for me, um, yeah, the first 30Ks were all right. Yep. Um, and then 40, uh, I would say probably the last 10Ks, I was just over it. I just wanted it to be done. And um, there was a bit of a break from the wind started running a bit faster mm-hmm. and then kind of got towards Scorching Bay. Uh, it was waiting for me. Yeah, it was just that last 5K mark as well. Yep. And that last 5K felt like I ran 50K in it. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it did it. was jumped in the sea afterwards. There's me and one other person. Everyone else had literally gone home. <laughs> it was a bit of an anti-climax because we expected like 100 people to be there. Yeah, And there was about... No, was it because it took you guys so long to? Well, to do it? it was a bit of a delay. There were a couple of the other sixty k runners who did it remarkable. Um, there was one guy who took like seven hours to do it, and wow. it was like this guy was mus- muscular as well. Yeah. Um, he had quads like my waist. It was yeah. Like, but uh, yeah, it was we're a little bit behind schedule, and it was cold, mm. so people just wanted to go home. That's mm. fine. Mm. But you know, you kind of build this image of everyone being there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I wanted my son to run the last little part with me. Yeah. So we got my Movember T-shirt. Nice. And he had his jo- he had his jacket on in the car. He was like, "I'm not getting outside." <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> like, "I'm not crazy." I was like, "Oh God, this is not working out how it was meant yeah, to be." Yeah. And um, yeah, but it was, yeah, it was. I look at that run now, and I'm like, probably one of the hardest runs I've done. Mm. But so many special moments. Mm. Uh, the people who helped me get to the end, I had some kind of people who picked me up from the 30K mark. There was a guy from the start who helped. And it was like, yes, I may have achieved it, but I wouldn't have achieved it if it wasn't for those people. Yeah, that's nice, man. And it's like, you know, that's what it's all about. It's like, it's great to try and do something for yourself, but you need people around you who can help support you. Mm. 
And it's the same for mental health. Mm. So it's like I look at so many ways it intertwine into to, uh, life. And yeah, it was. Um, I look back at it now and it's something that I'm very proud of. It's epic. That is so epic. 60 kilometers is no small feat. Yeah. Hey? Yeah. It is wild. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's going to be some... No, actually, I don't know if I should say this on podcast. Uh, there's going to be potentially a group of us looking to run around New Zealand the next amount of days. Um, run so around I, New Zealand? Yeah, pretty much. So, go for, I mean, originally I was thinking about doing it myself. Uh, Is it literally running around New Zealand? Well, running from the bottom of New Zealand all the way to the top. That's cool. That's um, awesome. But to try and do it in a month. Yeah. And But now it's changed slightly, which is quite good. There's going to be a team of us. Cool. Um, so we don't know. That's 2024. Uh, but yeah, hopefully something like that can happen. Perfect. Yeah, and um, watch that, this space. Yeah, and it'll be running a lot more cares as well. So um, yeah, like the mileage to lead up into that is is insane. Yeah. Um, I was recently talking to you that um, ticked off my first marathon probably like three three to four weeks ago now, and that was probably like the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. The the same thing, yeah. obviously on a way different scale. It's not sixty k's, but when I got to the final five k's. Those last, like what you said, those last final 5Ks felt like 50Ks. Yeah. I had nothing left in the tank. Yeah. I was a shell of a man. The photos are hilarious <laughs> because everyone is, you know, you get those really like elegant runners that run yeah. past you. And the photos which got sent back to me from the photographer, I'm just like <laughs> in a world of pain. Eh? I don't even look like myself. Yeah. I'm just like snot coming down my yeah. nose. And, <laughs> <laughs> But um, man, what an awesome feeling it is to get over the yeah. line for something like that. It's just, um, yeah, mm. a, a great sense of accomplishment. Um, that's the cool thing about running because like so many people are not fans. I, I've never been like a, you know, classic Strava guy running like four times a week or, yeah. or whatever. So it was really hard for me to sort of get into the training within this particular marathon. But there's something quite addictive about running in itself eh? because you can't cut any corners because it will, you, you, it will really stand out if you do cut any corners and it's so simple everybody can run it doesn't matter where you are well touch wood not everybody can run some mm. people are unfortunately in wheelchairs but the majority of people if you've got shoes if you've got feet you can you know just literally go to the beach go on the pavement and just start running yeah. um and you don't need all the, you don't really need all the flash gears. No. And it's such a true expression of almost like your soul. And mm. that, that sounds really deep, but I feel like when you're out there and you're running, that little voice goes into your head, but it's like the true reflection of who you are as an individual when you go through like long mileage, I reckon. Because yeah. you, you go through massive peaks and, Declines of like your own mental health when you're running yeah. the race, don't you? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's super cool. If anyone's thinking about it, and I also feel like I'm getting to that age where like Strava has become like my social media of choice. <laughs> I'm like, who have I become? It's um, you can you can now do videos, you can message, you can send DMs. Yeah, it's it's getting it's getting it's getting there. So. I, was, I was saying to my mate, I was like, this is gonna like so many more relationships are gonna be formed. Yep. through Strava, yep. so you can slide into yeah. the DMs on Strava now. <laughs> it's hilarious. And I think it's so true what you said, and um, 
you should get them photos and put them on your page. Yeah. Because, you know, that is you being you. Yeah, you know, totally. That's, uh, I think I love them photos, to be 100%. honest with you. Um, I've got pretty good at knowing where the photographers are, so I can do some nice pauses. Yeah. And, Check on uh, the stark face. Uh, it's usually arms out smiling. Nice. Um, but, yeah, I just think running is, as you say, it's, there's no shortcuts. Mm. It's like you get out what you put in. So and, true. Um, it is, running is the easy part. Mm. It's everything else. It's the stretching, the strength work, hundred percent. Going to bed, eating enough. You know, running is like a form of movement, and it's. Uh, if you look at kids running, they're always laughing or stuff. Mm. It's kind of like dance. I don't see anyone unless you're a professional dancer. When you dance, you've got a huge smile on your face. Mm. It's like freedom, mm. and it's you know it's an expression of movement through your body. And you know, if we didn't have the ability to run, we wouldn't be here today. Mm. So I think you know, as you say, people are designed if they can to run and mm. uh if you can do it correctly and not go crazy hard like i'm all about reducing the intensity mm. and um you know it's not about how it's not about how much you do it's about how much you can absorb yeah and it's take the intensity away enjoy it run with somebody run with others um i tend to find running side by side with somebody way more enjoyable and you can actually have some deep conversations because mm. it's not it's not quite intense I yeah die. true so i've had some of my most compelling conversations. It seems to be a place where if I, I have some great ideas, it's helped shape my business, going out for a run and then being like, right, there you go. Kind of just helps to reorganize the brain a bit. Mm. And it gives you a bit of space, especially if you've had a busy morning or, so, or whatever it is. And, um, yeah, I just think it's it's just something that, you know, you you don't expect to get all this stuff, but it just keeps on gifting you more and more mm. and I don't think it stops mm. I think that's why it's such a remarkable thing and it's a one sport where you can see a 60 year old absolutely dominate a 20 year old mm. yeah tell, tell me any other sport 100%. when I, it's like age doesn't matter yeah even you know your sex doesn't matter it's like you look at these amazing women who are running ultra marathons and absolutely dominating it yeah beating the boys and all yeah. that sort of stuff it's it, yeah, I just think there's just something magical about yeah, running. Totally, totally agree. Um, what I found really amazing at the Queenstown Marathon was going to the finish, going to the finish line, near, like around hour six mm. of of the race. So these are like you know the late finishes mm. coming through, and that for me was the most inspiring part. Yeah. Seeing people crossing the line. Who you know they got some big rigs on them. Yeah. You, you'd look at them, you'd be like, "You're not a runner. Mm. How you, you you would not be able to run 42 kilometers, yeah. but they fucking do it." Yeah. And oh, I just thought that was so incredible. Like for someone that physically maybe doesn't have like the typical physical attributes of a marathon runner or a runner in general, mm. yet they've put themselves through six hours worth of pain. Like that is so much more impressive to me than the person that won it. Hundred percent. It's incredible. And it's, uh, as you say, sometimes the last finisher gets more of a cheer than the first mm. because people are just there just supporting. 100%. And it's, as you say, it's a sport where you and I could be running together. We could be in race, a race, but I'm encouraging you. It's like, all I want is for you to do well. Yeah. You know, I want to do well and I want you to do well. Not many times you hear that. It's usually I want me to do well and totally. I want you to be behind me. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. If we get both, if we both get a PB... That's amazing. How do you know? So it, yeah, I just, it is something that it doesn't matter who you are, what size you are. You know, people say they're not a runner. I think you know, mm. 
I think we're all to a certain degree athletes who mm. like to, you know, who want to run or like to run, who need to run. And um, yeah, I just think as I say, it's something that it's hard to get into at first because there's so we tend to use running as punishment. If you think of any sport, you did this wrong, go and do some laps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Shadow it's runs. Like, yeah, it's just like beep taste. Exactly. Yeah. All these sort of things where if you actually just do relaxed running. It is so enjoyable, mm. and I think it's changing people's mindset of that because yeah. it's like, oh, I've got to go for a run. No, I get to go for a run. Yeah, yeah, it's um, certainly getting a lot more popular, right? Like yep. a lot more people are like, oh, cool, I'll give a half marathon a dig, and yeah. you know, you've got your um, running group, yeah. Zone Blue, which yep. is awesome. Yeah, um, and, and is that just really bringing people around like a shared a shared purpose? So Zone Blue is kind of a spinoff from the Blue Zones. So I couldn't use the... Uh, zone That's here. the old uh, age. Yeah, yeah, sort yeah. Of, yeah. yeah. So one of the things were community, low-intensity exercise, um, and I was like, right, well... And also for me, something that I struggled with in New Zealand was being a foreigner, is having my own friend circle. Mm. I found Wellington sometimes can be quite clicky. Yeah. And I was trying to get into people's circles, and I could get into it a little bit, and then i get pushed out again. And it was, yeah, it was something that I really struggled with. So I thought, screw this. I'm going to try and make a community. And um, Zone Blue started with me and one other person turned up. And this year we had like 89 people show up one week. Wow. And it's a mix of Wellingtonians, people from overseas, people from different parts of you know, the country who are coming here and just wanting to connect. Cool. Like it, it, that's, that's the whole purpose of Zone Blue. It's like... It's running is just a vessel of connection. It's like that was the whole purpose behind it. You know, it doesn't matter. It's never a race and stuff like that. We're all there together. And um, yeah, it's just kind of grown and grown. And, you know, it's it's amazing what we were able to do with it mm. um, in a very short amount of time. And it just shows the need for it because mm. a lot of running clubs, you've got to pay X, Y, and Z. This is free. Cool. You just show up. You just show up. Awesome. Just every here's a shameless plug. Eight a eight a.m. Nice. Freiburg. Yeah. We go for a thirty minute run. Awesome. And then we go and get a coffee at um I M Panadas just on the the waterfront. And we've been able to help a a, a business you know grow and mm. get a bit more popular. And um yeah, we're doing runs for Relay for Life around cool. the bays. We're taking a group down to Christchurch. We're going to be going to um, Hawkes Bay as well. Yeah, so it's. It starts off as running. It's much more than that. Mm. And it's like there's a huge social component of it as well. Mm. And giving people responsibility to actively take part of a, of a community as well. Mm. That's incredible. Do you get like many first-time runners just showing up? Yeah, we've got quite a few. People cool. who have never run an event. Um, there's been so many people. I, I, I won't name them because I get embarrassed. But there's <laughs> so many people I'm proud of who couldn't run. And now they're running 5K. You know, And people who this year I think we had... I think like 12, 15 people taking on distances that they've never done before. Awesome. And, you know, they've challenged themselves. They actually got through it. They enjoyed it. It's now a huge part of who they are mm. and, and how they identify with themselves. And it's, I never thought I would be able to do it, to be honest with you. It was like something that was like a kind of a, a dream. Mm. And it's starting to kind of turn into a reality now. And yeah, it's, it, as I said, the people in there are pretty remarkable. That's cool, man. That's it, super cool. And it's all about them. It's not about me. Yeah. It's like, I'm just, I think all of us have a special talent and mine tends to be, I'm like a glue. Mm. I bring people together and then I just move away and let mm. them connect. Cool. cool. That's so, beautiful. Yeah. That's real nice. Um, 
just rewinding back a tiny bit, mm. I was keen to ask you how when you are running, because I really struggled in the in the hurt locker, you know. Yeah, I, I like to think we're kind of friends now. Yeah, <laughs> it's a love hate relationship. <laughs> when you're going on your big long massive runs and you enter the hurt locker, mm. do you have any tools or strategies that you go through yourself to get yourself through? Um, I'm a bit weird. I like the pain. Nice. Um, the pain means that I'm close to getting past it and I'm on to that next level. Mm. Uh, but it's kind of the, the most basic thing is just one step at a time. You're, I know my brain is trying to stop, make me stop. My challenge is, and this is what I do because I'm a competitive person, is how far can you push it? Mm. How far can you go before you actually really need to stop? I mean, obviously, I don't want you to injure yourself. But the brain is like, a, it's designed to have a, like a safety mechanism. And I think there's so much more potential from there. So then warning shots, you know, it's just, it's a form of distraction. I just mm. try to distract myself. Can I get to that next lamppost? Yeah. Can I get to the next trail point? Can I just keep moving? You know, keep, if, even if I'm, if I have to walk, um, just keep moving. Because mm. the moment you stop, Trying to move again is really hard. Yeah, the momentum <laughs> goes it, out. It's just gone, and it's just like, yeah, the, I, I just, for me, it's, I try to distract myself as best I can. I try and focus on my breathing. If it's not the breathing, I have like a little mantra or whatever it come, come to my head. It's like, you know, just keep going. Just mm. move, move forward, mm. you know, and it's, I sing. I get aggressive with myself, so there's times if anyone saw me around, I can I screaming at myself, <laughs> um, especially when there's wind in my face. Yeah, true. Uh, I'm effing and blinding like there's no tomorrow, so it's just <laughs> like I, I cannot stand the wind, um, but I'll also love the wind at the same time because it's resistance work. Mm. Um, so yeah, so yeah, and then before you know it, you've done whatever you needed to do, and you're like, mm. oh shit, I've got through that. Now I can keep going. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, everyone has something, but for me, it's. I think I'm a bit sadistic, to be honest with you. Nice. It's like it's, you like the pain. It's like the pain is like this is what I was after. Yeah, this is what I was want to overcome. Yeah, this is why I'm, I do all the training for this moment. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, can I just grin and bear it for as long as I can? It's addictive, eh? Like, yeah, I, I think back on it now. I'm like, I would almost like to go back to sitting in the hurt, like you know, running in the hurt locker yeah. again. Like, it's just, yeah, you, yeah, you totally want to see what you're what you're capable of. Um, the man, the myth, the legends, Ned Brockman, oh, Australian yes. ultra, ultra marathon runner. He, I remember listening to his podcast after he did the run from Perth over to Sydney, which is just fucking hey. mind blowing. Like <laughs> that's the, that is just next level. Eh? Yeah. Um, I think one of like the mantra that he would tell himself was if someone had a gun to your head and said, can you take an extra step? You'd take an extra step yeah. like 10 times out of 10. Mm. Um, and I, I guess it's the it's the same with running. You yeah. know what I mean? Can you take another step? Yeah, you, most most likely you can. Yeah. You can take one more. Yeah, it's. I mean, I use my family a lot. It's like if you want to think of that, it's if I had to run to my family, mm. they were in danger. Yeah, I guarantee you that no matter how I'm feeling, I'll get to them. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so mm. it's use whatever you can, and I think as I say, it's just a chance to test yourself, and it's something that. I think a lot of us are afraid to do now, mm. um, which is a real shame. So, yeah, so every run, you know, I I never really, it's very rare that I'm like, yes, I'm 100% in this run. I cannot wait to do this run. 
know, there's usually something. But then afterwards, I'm like, I'm so glad I did. Mm. I've never regretted a run no. unless unless I got injured. Yeah, uh, which touch wood uh, <laughs> ha- hasn't happened too much to me. Um, but yeah, there's regardless of the weather as well. It's like you're gonna get wet if you're sweat you're sweating or in the rain mm. or whatever. It's like mm. yeah. So all these excuses in my head, I call them excuses, but some people don't. But um, yeah, just put them to the side and keep going. It's awesome, bro. Um, we'll finish up with some quick fire questions and, yep. and then a quote but before we do so where can people get in touch with you and your Mahibian uh, so yeah so I'm on social media on Instagram so just my name Benedice and then the Zone Blue page is there so you want to see some of the work we're doing for community work uh, I've got a website just benedice.com and um, I work out of sweat in Kaifarafara so work as a PT there so if you ever want to come and do a bit of work with me more than happy to and um yeah just drop me a message and email and i do my best to respond to you and um yeah that's one way you can do it awesome bro and we'll put links in the description below wherever you're watching or listening to this episode ben what brings you true happiness family advice you wish you knew about when you were younger don't rush enjoy the struggle Hmm. perfect run distance Oh, Oof. fast or slow I guess if it's fast do both I do like a cheeky half marathon that's a that's a nice that's a nice little distance for me cheeky half yeah, cheeky half um, long distance I guess 60k would be the longest I've done so um, for some reason 100k if someone says long distance that to me sounds like long distance so I do 100k. Do you, you reckon you'll do 100k? Oh, 100. Soon? Yeah. 100, the, the aim is I've done the 60, it was meant to be 50, then it's the 100k, then it's the 100 mile, which is 160. 60, yeah. So, ah, awesome. All, all of them ticked off. Yeah. 440, and I'm 38 now. So, let's go. Yeah. Let's go. If you could change one thing in New Zealand, what would this be? <laughs> the stats around men's health. Hmm. What does legacy mean to you? Good question. Very good question. Um, legacy is doing the right things for the right people, regardless if the time was right or wrong. Hmm. I like that. What do you believe is the main thing that is holding back young people in New Zealand? I guess opportunities, um, confidence, belief, and accountability. Mm. Awesome. And we'll finish with a quote. This one's from uh, Nelson Mandela: "The greatest glory in living lies not in the greatest glory in living lies not in never failing, but in rising every time we fall." Cheers, bro. Thank you. Thank you. Much.